Well, good morning. I want to remind those who are going with us to Glenview. It's this Thursday, so we'll go to Glenview Elementary and we will uh, help them set up and distribute their food at their fresh food, fresh food pantry. If I can get that out. Uh, so that's this Thursday. Man, September has flown by, hasn't it? Uh, I was thinking about you know school getting started and now uh, we're already uh, a month in and it's crazy. Life is going by quickly. And so sometimes we need to just remind ourselves that we need to pay more attention to life and especially to our life in front of us. So Miss Baker was a, a teacher. She'd been teaching kindergarten at a private school for, for many years and she had accumulated a lot of funny sayings that her students had said. So she kept a little journal of some of the things that they said. And Andrew was one of her students. And so she recorded something that Andrew had said. He was very much into technology. Andrew loved all the, the media and devices and things like that. And so during one particular month each year, she would ask different students to recite the Lord's Prayer. And so they were learning this, and so they would take turns uh, each day. You know, one of the students would get their chance to recite it uh, in front of their, their classmates. And so on the day it was Andrew's turn, uh, she was wrapping everything up by asking him to recite the Lord's Prayer. And so his prayer started off great. Man, Andrew was rolling. He had this thing down word for word. But near the end, he prayed very innocently what he thought he had been hearing as they were learning this prayer. And so Andrew finished his prayer with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of truth to that, right? And so while that might have been an honest misunderstanding, we can probably in many ways uh, relate to this. We, there's a lot to this prayer. And so there's a sense in which temptation does come along with technology, particularly the kinds of things that technology makes possible. Uh, in our day and time. And so we struggle with being fully present because of uh, the, the, the tools that are around us and our, our fascination and our consumption that, that technology leads us to. And so we can be preoccupied in the moment and preoccupied and, and miss opportunities with people that we are occupying space with. And so our relationship with technology plays a big part in this disconnection. And technology for us today would widely be identified as electronic. But there's a broader definition of technology, which is the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes. So there's a broader view of it here. So we're not the first people in human history to, to struggle with distractions that are caused by technology. Everyone faces the challenge of being present in the moment you find yourself in. And a lot of Jesus' teaching dealt with, with reminding and instructing people to, who were having trouble being present in the moment, paying attention to life around them in their life. And so some are held hostage in their minds to people who have done things to them in the past. And so their minds are preoccupied with events or circumstances from the past. Which is why Scripture gives us a whole lot of reminders and instructions about forgiveness and bitterness. Things like dealing with resentment. And so Jesus knows something about the, the struggle of the human spirit and, and our struggle with what's happened to us in the past and how we tend to dwell on those sort of things. And so people live in the past. But living hostage to the past prevents you from living fully present in the moment. And so Jesus also speaks at times about the anxiety that comes with worrying about the future. 
looking too far ahead. What, what's going to happen? How's this going to turn out? Because some people are so anxious about what might happen or what, what, what they think is going to happen that they're not fully living in the present moment. And so Jesus brought us a beautiful gift. And that's the gift to be able to live fully in the present moment. But He gives us the capacity to be able to, to live without being held hostage to guilt and to shame over the past or maybe people's sins against us in the past and without being hostage to uncertainties of the future. But our struggle is not new and it is not unique. However, in this day and age, you don't have to look very far to realize we have additional forces that are at work in our lives, keeping us from living fully in the present moment. And so we have devices. We have our, our, our phones and tablets. And so I have a phone and my notes are on a tablet, right? This phone I hold in my hand has over 30,000 times more processing power than the computer that landed Apollo 11 on the moon. Can you believe that? The computer that landed Apollo 11 on the moon was less capable than this phone in my pocket. And that's amazing to me. This phone weighs 5.9 ounces. That computer weighed like 75 pounds. Right? Crazy. And with this phone, I can connect with others. I can do work on this phone. I can pay bills with this phone. I can entertain myself with this phone. And it enables me to accomplish so much without ever having to leave where I am. Yet at the same time, it can enable me to be anywhere but where I am. So we've got to have some balance here. And let me stress this morning, I do not want us to think about someone else as we're going through these thoughts, right? Because our tendency can be, with, with, with these temptations, we talk about technology, is, boy, I wish he could hear that. I hope he's listening to this. I hope she's hearing this, right? So I don't want us to do that. Let each one of us examine ourselves in our own particular situation. As the prophet Haggai wrote, Haggai chapter 1 and verse 5, Here then is what the Lord who rules over all says. Think carefully about what you are doing. As he's speaking to the Israelites and again speaking to us today. Paul writes this to the churches as he writes in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4, Let each one examine his own work, then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else. So my goal today is not to equip you with tools to inspect other people's lives, right? I want to encourage each of us to ask yourself, how am I living with this reality, with this technological reality? And please don't hear me bash technology, because those who have been around me for a minute know how much I love technology. I'm a geek with this stuff. I love all the new stuff that comes out. Especially I love the ways in which technology helps us spread the gospel. So many ways that weren't possible years ago. Did you know that more people watch or listen to sermons online or through electronic devices during the week, this is worldwide, than are actually present to hear that sermon or that message? More people listen to it digitally than listen to that very message in person. And so it's amazing. That's why we, we put our messages on our website each week. So they're out there too. Many of us this morning are using devices to, to, to take notes and to follow along uh, with the sermon today. And so at some times this week, 
You may use that same device to, to make a prayer request. You may uh, fill out a reservation form to reserve a room or per, perhaps uh, volunteer for a ministry area. You may contribute to the kingdom. You may donate some change for children this week using that electronic device. And so the Bible is going digitally to places in the world where paper copies are not able to go. They're not allowed. And it's amazing how technology is able to advance the gospel. And so people have been drawn to God, led to faith in Christ through digital tools used by this congregation. And so maybe you can think of a text you received at just the right time, the positive side of, of technology. Maybe you received a text in the middle of the day, a, a tough, hard moment. Nobody knew what you were going through, but they just sent you a text. Hope you're having a great day. Here's a scripture I had on my heart. I wanted to share it with you. Maybe you've all received something like that. You realize what that's done for you. Or maybe you've had to realize the capacity to FaceTime a grandchild or, or, or loved one across the world or across the street even, right there from your smart device. So how about the important content you found at the click of a button that, that created efficiency in your life that freed up some time or some moments to spend with a loved one? And so technology has so many good, useful possibilities. But although technology can be an excellent servant, it can also be a ruthless master. And so in 2018, the Global Mobile Consumer Survey found Americans look at their phones an average of 52 times a day. 52 times a day, we're looking at a device. Now, this does not include when somebody calls you. It doesn't include a, a text message. It doesn't include a, a, you know, a notification from an app. This is strictly... Literally, us deciding just to randomly pick up the, the, the phone or the tablet or the computer and check them unprompted because it's there. Average once every 15 minutes. And so although we may use our devices for very productive things, you don't need a survey and you don't need behavioral science to tell you how these devices can become addictive. And so most of the time when we think of addiction, we think of substance abuse, substances. But there are behavioral Addictions also, because your brain reacts in the same way. And so it releases this pleasure chemical, dopamine, when you engage your device. And so it does something to your brain. The same response an addict would get when they hit their drug. And so in 2018, the World Health Organization included, for the first time ever, gaming disorder, along with its offline and online variants, as a a classification of disease. And so now in the 11th edition of the International Classification of Diseases, as clinically recognizable and a clinically significant syndrome, you have gaming disorder. And it's such a nature and intensity that it, it creates this marked distress or significant impairment in personal or family or, or, or social, educational, operational functioning. It affects our lives in ways that we are not able to function like we were without it. And so in the most technologically advanced countries in the world, China and Korea, in the parts of their countries that are making this stuff for us, which are more advanced technologically than the United States, in those areas there are now inpatient rehabilitation facilities where young Asian men and women can detox from their dependence on their electronic devices. 
And so a simple definition of addiction is something you enjoy doing in the short term, which undermines your well-being in the long term, but you do it compulsively anyway. And so it's the, it's the endless scrolling through, through social media feeds or, or notifications or gaming on our phones and, and things. And designers understand how this stuff works. They know exactly how this connects to our body. They're not evil. They're not trying to create addicts, but they're, they're business people. They know how to sell stuff. And so they know how to handle their market. So what do they do? They offer add-ons, upgrades, accessories. To go along with it. And so we hit Facebook and we hit Twitter. We hit Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. 52 times a day. It's like those hospital pain pumps, right? You know, that you give the patient the button and they're just... Even though it's metered, so they they can't empty the tank, right? But we can. It's endless. There's no meter on this. It's constant, endless. As quick and as much as we want to click. And so study after study tells us that the more time... We spend with our screens, the more prone we are to addiction and anxiety. Unless we're able to concentrate at work or even sleep peacefully at night. And so Silicon Valley, this is the heart of the North American technological movement. Silicon Valley, in in the private schools where the top executives from Google and Apple and the likes send their children in these private schools that most of them do not allow screens in their classroom until the children are 10 years old. That's fourth or fifth grade. And these are the people that are creating this stuff for us. And I would expect otherwise. I would, I would expect to go there and be blown away by the technology in their, in their classrooms. And it's not there. And get this, instead of tricking out their homes with all the latest technology, many of today's parents that are working in, in, in the living in the tech world, they're limiting and sometimes outright banning how much screen time their children get. Because these developers understand the power of technology more than consumers understand it even. And so we start out going to these devices and we do it to gain freedom. And gain control to make our lives more efficient and easier. But over time, what we end up doing is relinquishing our freedom and relinquishing our control to these very devices. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, addresses some Christians about what they think they have the right and the freedom to do. And so he, he received some letters from them. And, and this appears that he's answering some questions probably. Maybe addressing kind of a, a, a common theme that they live by in their culture there. This is in Corinth. And so in this, in this section of Scripture, he's specifically talking about sexual immorality. But the principle he's speaking about carries into all areas of life. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, you'll see the quotes because he's, he's either responding to a question or answering a, a, a comment or some saying that's going on in their culture. He says, okay, yeah, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is beneficial. Those are Paul's, that's his answer to this. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be controlled by anything. And so Paul warns us not to be so focused on what I have the right to do or the freedom to do that I lose capacity or lose sight of its capacity to enslave me. And so Eric Pickersgill is a photographer and his recent photo series created quite a buzz 
throughout, throughout the electronic media world. And so as, as folks were, were looking at his photographs. And so what he did was he photographed uh, various locations and, and people interacting with their electronic devices. And then he used technology to remove that device. And so the results are striking as you see this. And so you, you've, probably, you've, you've probably seen this on others, right? Where people are literally bowing down to their devices. Because we're living in a culture that is constantly bowing to its devices. And we, get to, 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 we go to these things and we get freedom. And we gain more efficiency in our lives. But here's the deal. The reality is we're spending more and more of our time bowing down to them. And so again, my purpose today is not to shame any of us, but we all need to admit that we're all in this struggle together when it comes to, to navigating and learning how to relate to this electronic world that we live in. It's not going away. It's only going to increase. So how do we move through this? How do we raise our children to move through this? Well, having a greater awareness can help us in drawing some, some tangible boundaries around technology in our lives, putting some restrictions on ourselves and those that we're in charge of also. So I, I want to and I want you to live in the moment and not through your device. And so deep, lasting, influential relationships are created and they're sustained and they survive through personal, face-to-face interaction. And true and, and, and lasting influence for the kingdom of God comes from face-to-face, regular, intentional relationships. It touches the realities of life. It doesn't come through virtual reality by touching a screen. So look at this picture taken off the coast of California. It's a, an area where there are a lot of opportunities to see whales. And so people go, people pay a lot of money and travel long distances to see once in a lifetime, uh, you know, opportunities and experiences. And so those who have seen a whale in person, I have not, but I've read about it. People, and when they see it, they say, wow, it was a life-changing experience to be that close to such a, a phenomenon as a whale, this great marvelous beast. And this man on his sailboat is not captivated by the wonder of nature around him, Rather, he is captivated by the unnatural wonder of his smartphone, of his device. And so he's so distracted by his device, he's missing a wonder that's right in front of him. And Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote that earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit rounded and pluck blackberries and daub their natural faces unaware. Or should we say they stare at their Phones unaware. And so the book called Ecclesiastes is a record of, of a reflective journey of a, of a man attributed to Solomon who looks back through his life and in, in his search for what truly matters, what's truly significant, the meaning of life. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, he observes, For everything there is an appointed time and an appropriate time for every activity on earth, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give something up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to rip and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. 
A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And so he's writing here in this section about people who are so caught up in working and laboring that they don't even recognize or realize or discern the time in which they are actually living in. The present moment. And so he goes on and says, What benefit can a worker gain from his toil? I have observed the burden that God has given to people to keep them occupied. God has made everything fit beautifully in its appropriate time. But He has also placed ignorance in the human heart so that people cannot discover what God has ordained from the beginning to the end of their lives. So he says God has made everything beautiful in its time. In its place, in its moment. And there's some pretty rough things in, in this passage when you think about it. So, the beautiful, you know, a time for war? Beautiful, a time to hate? Beautiful, a time to die? Really? I mean, what's this? Who gets to determine what time it is? Well, God gets to determine that. God's the one who sets the time. Well, how do we know what time God thinks it is? Well, we have to get to know Him. We have to know Him, His nature and His character through the Scriptures. And through Jesus. And we also have the, the, the leading of the Spirit, as, as Frank brought our attention to this morning, and the counsel of the body of Christ around us. But the problem is, is we give into or we do these things when it's not time for them. So we war when it's not time to war. We hate when it's not time to hate. We hate on the wrong things and we war over the wrong things. And Satan works to constantly distract us from recognizing what time it actually is. What we should be doing and living according to that time. Have you ever gotten distracted or so caught up in something, an electronic, a device that you were like, you know, what'd you lose track of? Time. <laughs> we lose track of time. We get so focused in. There's a time to laugh and a time to dance, a time to heal and a time to sow. But you will struggle to recognize what time it is if you are not truly living in the present time. So, have you ever known someone who just seems to say the wrong thing at the wrong time? They seem to open their mouth at the wrong time and you're like, I can't believe you just said that, right? It's like they're clueless to anything else that's going on. They have no spatial awareness about them. They lose sight of the big picture that they're living in. People walk into doors. People step into holes. They step out into traffic. All kinds of, of, of dangerous and potentially deadly circumstances because they're not aware of where they are. And you don't have to have a device in front of your face to do that, right? You can lose track of where you are anytime. You don't have to be conjoined to an electronic device in order to, to fail to live fully in the present moment. But what our technology allows us to do is to trade reality for virtual reality. And here's when you know it's a problem. When you resent someone for interrupting you while you are busy on your device. That's when you know there's a problem. You get mad because somebody has interrupted your whatever you were doing on that screen. Because you would prefer virtual reality to the reality of life around you. And so these things open doors. They open doors all around the world. But we can allow them to shut the door to our life, closing off the world right in front of us if we're not careful. We can miss the opportunity for wonder and awe and worship. Or, or sometimes we miss the opportunity to, to minister to someone else because we're not paying attention to the world around us. And sometimes we miss the opportunity for rest. Sometimes we need to shut our eyes and rest our minds, our brains. 
Jesus lifted up two commands of, of God and he called them the greatest. And Matthew records this story in Matthew 22 and verse 35, where, where Jesus said this man comes up to him, a religious law, and asks him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment of the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. And so one of the great challenges of life that we have, especially with our our devices and our screens, is we are all too easily led to pay more attention to them than we are the people who are in our presence. And so I can monitor the lives of seven billion people. I can know what's going on with 7 billion people on this planet, but are they doing something more important or more interesting than the person I love who is right in front of me? And so there is no shortage of study on the effects of technology. But one more finding is that we are more engaged with an electronic device when we engage with an electronic device. We find ourselves less able to empathize with those around us. And to empathize with someone is to walk in their shoes. It's, it's recognizing someone who's suffering or is troubled. And you attempt to slide into their shoes and relate to them emotionally. While you mind your own life experiences to, uh, of suffering and troubles to try to, 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 to walk alongside them, to lift them up. But if I'm going to empathize and comfort someone, I've got to pay attention to them. I have to recognize that they're going through something and then listen and, and, and walk with them in that situation. And realize how to best interject myself into their life. But how can I give attention to someone else if I'm constantly giving my attention to something else? And so real conversation, they say, takes about seven minutes to develop. Because that's, that's how long it takes to get over the, you know, how's the weather? And, you know, what's, I'm not even going to mention sports. And, you know, and, you know, how the kids doing? It takes about seven minutes to kind of get through that stuff. Because those are good topics and those are things that we're interested in. But real conversation kicks in after that, because that's when you begin to talk about things you're worried about, things that are concerning you or things you're excited about, things you're curious about. That's when real conversation settles in. But that requires trust. And people develop trust based on how they perceive you responding to them. And so if someone starts paying more attention to their devices than they do to you, what's your impression of them, right? Well, I'm not worth listening to because what I say doesn't matter. Whatever's on that is more important. And you have to be willing to push back the impulse to check in with 7 billion other people on the planet and be present with the person that's right in front of you. You have to, 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 to push back on the impulse to beat your high score. So that you can be present with the person who wants to be with you. And among many other characteristics, the Apostle Paul says that love is not rude. Love is not self-serving. It is not easily angered. It is not resentful. And so sometimes laying my life down for another begins with simply laying down my phone. That's the first step. And so this week, I want to challenge us first to assess how are you using your devices. How, how are they tying you down from being present where you are? This week, consider your ways. First, evaluate. And this requires humility and it requires vulnerability. But I want you to ask someone else, what do they think about your relationship with your smart devices or your screen? Ask someone else what they think, what their impression is. Here's a brave question. 
hey, what's it like to be on the other side of me when I have my device? If you'll permit my version of Matthew 5.29, which reads, If thy phone or tablet or smartwatch or computer offend me, delete thy apps or turn it off for a time. For what does it profit to be connected to everyone else in the world, yet loseth who meaneth the world to you? So set some boundaries this week in your life, some guardrails to manage and, and, and master your use of technology because its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And always pray. Always be in prayer. Ask God to increase your capacity to live more faithfully in the moment and to love more fully the people who are right in front of you. And may we bow down more to God and a lot less to our devices. Because I love this. It's a great tool. I do. This is one of my favorite things, not people, things that I have. It's my, my stuff. I love this. It's helpful. It helps me help you much, many times during the week. But learning to be wise about our smart devices can lead us to what is truly the best of things. And so technology has developed into a great bridge It connects people of all nations, all tongues, all backgrounds. But the greatest and the fullest and the truest connection between human beings was made by Jesus on the cross. So that those who were once far away have been brought near, not by technology, but by Christ. But in fact, it was technology because the cross itself was technology. It was improved, new technology. It was a technology of death that the Romans instituted. Created as an instrument of death, but it's been transformed by God as an instrument of life. And in the hands of a Christian, a child of God, a a, a citizen of the kingdom, electronic devices can be an instrument of life. Will you make it an instrument of life for you and those you love today? So this morning, I don't know what you may be struggling with. I assume in some degree we're all struggling with this every day. But Jesus Christ came to this earth, as we read our Scripture earlier, put on flesh, dwelt among men. God in the flesh. The very presence of God among us. To live in full righteousness so that as He went to the cross and as He died for us, God could accept Him as the sacrifice for our sins, our disobedience. And as God raised Him up, and as we know by faith and Stephen saw by sight, Jesus reigns at the right hand of God and He's waiting for us in His time to come and reign with Him for eternity. But that's the gift of a child of God. Someone who is baptized into Christ, dying to themselves, dying to the ways you used to think life should be, and instead living for Christ, confessing Him as Lord and Savior, the Son of God, being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, raised up as a new creature, a new person, a child of God, to receive the gift of His Spirit, to help us, to encourage us, to instruct us, and to remind us each day that we are living as redeemed children of God. Will you redeem your lives today from whatever it may be? Maybe it is electronic devices. Maybe it's something else. But your great Redeemer calls you this morning. And if we assembled as brothers and sisters, as friends, can help you and encourage you in any way and pray for you, we want to do that this morning. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. Will you make your choice and come?